I may be like you in this. I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with uh, greeting cards. I love to give them, uh, especially to Karen, um, to communicate my love to her. But it's so hard to find the right one. Can anybody relate? It's just really hard to find the right one. Most of them are just bad. I, I can't believe people get paid to write this stuff. It's just way too many words and not enough heart and soul. So it's been my habit over the years just to write my own, which I've done many, many times. But once, and I still remember the exhilaration of it, I found the perfect card. Has that ever happened to anybody? Never happened to anybody? Okay, I found the perfect card. It perfectly articulated what was in my heart and what I wanted to say. Karen and I were in the middle of a long-distance romance. Um, I had quit my job. I'd sold everything and gone to seminary and uh, left her in Little Rock. Uh, I was in Kansas City. I loved her, but I left her behind, and uh, she loved me, but she let me go. My friends and family thought I was crazy for quitting my job and going to seminary, and uh, her friends and family thought she was crazy for waiting for me. That's hard to understand, right? Um, <laughs> Almost nobody around us got it, what we were doing. Almost nobody. There were a few, but not very many, who understood what we were doing. We discovered that when you step out of, outside the box of uh, conformity and you officially turn your back on the way most people live, uh, people will still say nice things to you and they will still greet you and they will still even affirm you, but they look at you like you're crazy. And this was our experience. So, I'm in Kansas City. I need to tell Karen what's in my heart. And I'm standing at the Hallmark shop, which is a greeting card store. And, and I just want to tell her that I love her. I want to tell her that I know what we're doing is weird. But I want to tell her, too, that I know God's in the middle of all this weirdness. Okay? So I wanted to articulate this. And I found the perfect card. The perfect one. On the front of the card, there were these two figures these two human forms, somewhat abstract, dancing, right? And then you open the card and it said this, those who hear not the music think the dancers mad. You remember? <laughs> those who hear not the music think the dancers mad. And I thought, that's us. That's us. The people around us can't really hear this symphony that, that we're hearing from God. They can't really hear it. But we do hear it, and we're dancing to it. Yes, we're weird, but you know what? You get in that place, and you just don't care anymore. You don't really care what anybody else thinks. You're going to go with Jesus, right? Amen. Some of you have testimonies about this. You just don't really care what the world thinks. Man, you're hearing the master symphony, and you've got to dance. You know, you just can't live in the box anymore. You've got to dance with the Lord. Sometimes a brand new Christian will say to me, Jim, my family and my friends, they think I've lost it. They think I've gone nuts. They think I've gone over the edge. They think I've gone crazy. I'm in love with Christ and my life has totally changed. And my friends and family, they think I've lost it. You know what I always say to those people? Yay! You're supposed to be weird. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be strange. You're supposed to be unique. Eight times in the Bible, if you have the King James Version, God says, my people are, does anybody know? A peculiar people. So what's God saying there? 
He's saying one very specific thing. He's saying they're mine. That's uh, most importantly what he's saying. He said, those people are mine. I've marked them out. They're mine. But he's also saying they're different. They're distinctive. They're atypical. They're uncommon. Friends, if you're in a relationship with Christ, you should be weird. In the best, most wonderful, most remarkable, most intoxicating way. You should be strange. You should be strange upon the earth. You know, you hear the music of God, you hear His symphony, and you just can't live inside that little bitty box that everybody lives in anymore. You can't live in that box anymore. It's too small. It's just too small. And why is that true? Because we've met the living God. We've met the living God and we, we don't settle anymore. We won't settle anymore. We can't settle anymore. Amen? We can't settle anymore. We can't live it small anymore. We know the living God. We've glimpsed Him. He's awesome. He's breathtaking. And we just can't live like the rest of the world anymore. We can't. We just can't do it. As C.S. Lewis says, we are no longer enamored with the world. We've put down our mud pies. You know, do any of you know the quote, C.S. Lewis quote? We've put down our mud pies and we're pursuing infinite joy in the Son of God. As John Piper says, we're no longer deceived. We're no longer chasing those worldly bubbles that burst. How many of you in here are still giving your affections and your hearts to things that will ultimately burst in your hands? Not if you're chasing Jesus. That won't happen. That will not happen. Piper says, we don't chase bubbles that burst anymore. I love how John Eldridge says it. He says, we no longer live small lives. We no longer give our hearts to less wild lovers. And that's a, maybe a hard thing for you guys to understand what he's saying there. Less wild lovers. What's he talking about? Just anything you might love more than Jesus. That's a less wild lover. I don't know, money, power, career, sex, uh, whatever, family, uh, religion. Anything you love more than Jesus, Eldridge calls a less wild lover. I like that. I like the way he says that. He says, we're in on a sacred romance with an infinite lover. Amen? You can't live in the box anymore, friends, if you've come to know him. You can't live small anymore. Yes, it's true. Those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad. But you just don't care. You just don't care anymore. We've met the Creator and Redeemer God, and He's breathtaking. And we've fallen hopelessly in love with Him. In our text tonight, uh, Colossians 1, 19 to 14, pardon me, 9 to 14, Colossians 1, 9 to 14. This is in essence, in my mind, one of the things Paul is exhorting us uh, to do. No more compromises, no more half measures, no more hedging, no more conformity with the world, no more settling for lesser things. We're going to pursue Jesus Christ. We're going to live a life what? Do you remember what the text says? A life worthy of Him. Let me ask you, friend. <laughs> Is that something you take seriously? Living a life worthy. A life worthy of the Master. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says, to live well. To live well for the master. Last week in verses 1 through 8, Paul commended the Colossians for being conspicuous. He says, man, I've heard about your faith. 
I've heard about it. It's conspicuous. He says, I've heard how you love one another. It's conspicuous. He said, I've heard how you, how you have this undying hope in heaven, how you're pointing at the Bema Sea, how your heaven view dominates your worldview. He says, I've heard about this. And he says, I've heard about your fruit. I've heard about it. They were conspicuous Christians, stalwart followers of Jesus. Remember, we talked a lot about that. Stalwart followers of Jesus Christ. They were brave and bold and heroic Christians. And you come down to verse 9 and Paul says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, For this reason we have not ceased to pray for you. For what reason? For what reason? Of course, this is the biblical pattern. Believers pray for believers. We should be doing this all the time, praying for one another. But it's interesting. It's interesting what Paul is saying here. He says, Since I've heard you're doing so well, I've never ceased to pray for you. Now, this is a little unusual in most of our prayer meetings, wouldn't you say? Uh, normally, invariably, aren't we praying for those who have great need and difficulty? And yes, we should be praying for them. Absolutely. But how often do we pray for those who are advancing in the faith and doing well in the faith? But Paul says, because you're doing so well, I've not ceased to pray for you. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying those advancing in the faith, those pushing the envelope, those outside-the-box Christians, they're going to be encountering um, difficulties. They're going to be encountering uh, resistance. They're going to be encountering resistance from Satan, from the world, from maybe even their families, from their own flesh. He says, I pray for those guys that are outside the box. Man, I pray for those guys that take it serious. I pray for those guys that, that are really living their faith. I'm praying for them. And we should too. You know, we should too. You know, when we just pray for those who have difficulties, and yes, we should, by all means we should. But we should be praying also for those who are strong in the faith and advancing in the faith, those who are, are pushing the envelope of faith. We need to be praying for those men and women as well. We should not neglect to do that. So what is it Paul prays for these outside-the-box Christians? He says that they may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what is Paul praying for the Colossians here? The Greek word translated filled is uh, very telling. It carries the connotation of completeness. Paul is, is praying for their completeness in the knowledge of the will of God. One of the, I love to do word studies, and one of the words that caught my eye when I was doing this word study on the Greek word translated uh, filled was the word brimming. Don't you love that word? Brimming. Friends, you're supposed to be brimming with the knowledge of the will of God. This is supposed to be the signature of your life. That you are brimming with the knowledge of the will of God. You're to be packed with the, with the knowledge of the will of God. You're to be crammed with the knowledge of the will of God. It should be overflowing out of your heart and out of your mind. The knowledge of the will of God. You should be brimming with the knowledge of the will of God. I like what MacArthur says here, John MacArthur. He interjects a different word into discussion. He says, the Christian should be dominated by the knowledge of the will of God. 
I think that's perfect. The Christian should be dominated by the knowledge of the will of God. We know that even nominal, unregenerate Christians, uh, those who are merely religious, they have some knowledge of God, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about someone who's given themselves over to the knowledge of the will of God and who are serious about living it. This is a pervasive theme in the Bible. I could, could cite passages until I fell down up here, but I'll only give you two, okay? I'll give you two just to, to show the, the importance here. Do you remember what the prophet Hosea said? Hosea chapter 4, there is no knowledge of God in the land. Do you remember that? Do you remember what he said after that? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed because they have rejected knowledge. They lack knowledge. And then I'll go to the other end of the spectrum. Colossians chapter 2 will be there in a week or two. Paul writes to them and he says, The true, un uh, true understanding, wisdom, and knowledge of God are hidden in Christ Jesus. So for lack of knowledge, God's people are destroyed. But we know what the source is. What is the source? It's Jesus Christ. It's the Word incarnate. It's the Word incarnate. Beloved, you've heard, it many, you've heard it said many times. Ignorance is bliss. Wrong. Wrong. God says, ignorance will destroy you. Ignorance is disastrous. Ignorance will wreck all kinds of havoc in your life. God says, my people are destroyed because they lack knowledge. Specific knowledge, knowledge about my will. So how does it happen? How do we get this knowledge? It's not rocket science. How do we get it? Someone tell me. We study the Word of God, right? We study, we become students of the Word of God. So how important is this in a believer's life? We can take a cue from Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ say in John chapter 4? Uh, verse 34, he said, This is my food to do what? The will of my Father. Is it like that? Jesus says, This is my food. This is my life. This is who I am. This is my sustenance. To do the will of my Father. Friends, it's supposed to be like that with us. I know we can't be like Jesus. Perfectly. I know that. I'm not saying that. But the thrust and drive of our life should be to do the will of our awesome Creator, Redeemer, Shepherd, God. To do His will. To know it and to do it. You remember what else the Scripture says? Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Are you in the Word of God to the degree that that looks like that's real in your life? Do you know you can't just live on bread alone? You must have God's Word. Are you in the Bible... Uh, because that's true of you? Is it your bread and your meat and your drink? In other words, God says, my word is life to my people. It's life to my people. It's just like bread. It always amazes me how many Christians seem to be confused about God's will for their life. It's like they think God's playing hide and seek with them. That He won't reveal His will to them. Beloved. <laughs> Beloved. 
It's right here. Read it. Your, God's will for your life, it's right here. Do it. Just do this. You know, people sometimes they come to me and say they, they think there's some mysterious hidden will that God has for them, but and they can't find it. Wrong. You can find it. It's right here. Just do what's in front of you today. Do it mightily as unto the Lord. That's God's will for you. And as you keep doing uh, what's in front of you, if there's some big thing for you to do, He's going to bring it to you. And it'll come to you as you're doing that thing that's right in front of you. Do the Word. That's the will of God. Don't be confused. Do the Word. You know, we talked a lot about that when we went through the book of James. And God is so serious about His children knowing and doing His will. How do we know God's serious about it? Well, He's given us His Word and He's preserved it for us. Amen? What else has God done to ensure that we can know His will and do it? What else? The Holy Spirit. He's given us the third member of the Trinity. It's almost like God saying, I know you can't mess this up. I've given you my word. I've given you the third member of the Trinity. In fact, He's living inside you. I know you can't mess this one up, right? God is making... God is doing everything He can to make sure that we know His will. It's up to us to go do it, right? It's up to us to know the word. It's up to us to submit to the power and leading of the Spirit of God and to be used mightily uh, for the few moments we have left upon the earth. John 14 and 16, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will abide with you and in you, and He will guide you into what? All truth. All truth. Not just some truth. Not just most of the truth. All the truth. <laughs> Friends, if you want to know God's will for your life, it's right here. It's in this love letter that He's written to His people. So don't be confused about that. So what is Paul saying here as he closes verse 9? He says, Be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's saying apply it to your life. That's what, I, that's what I understand him to be saying. Know the will of God and then go do it. We're to be brimming, packed, overflowing uh, people with the knowledge of the will of God and then we're to apply it in all wisdom and understanding. Look at verse 10. Paul says, So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, he, uh, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of of God. We're to be brimming, overflowing with the knowledge of the will of God that we might what? That we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we might please Him in all respects, that we might bear fruit in every good work and that we might increase in the knowledge of God. We're supposed to be like that tree in uh, Psalm chapter 1. You know the tree? You know the, you know the psalm? And uh, chapter 1, verse 3, we're to be uh, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water yielding up its fruit. It's a beautiful metaphor. It's a perfect metaphor for what Paul is exhorting us to do here. Beloved, is this not the desire of your heart? Let me ask you as a Christian, for all of you in here who are born again tonight, is this not the desire of your heart to walk in a way 
that is worthy to the Lord Jesus Christ and that pleases Him in all respects. If that is not your heartbeat, friends, I, I don't understand it. That should be our heartbeat <laughs> if we've really met Him. If we've really met Him, it should be our heartbeat. You know, this is, he's talking about real worship here. You know, heart, soul, mind, and strength worship. He's talking about lifestyle worship. That's what he's talking about. Walking in a manner pleasing to the Lord. I love, I love that song we sang, that what David Crowder wrote. I will not be quiet anymore. Because if I'm quiet, the rocks and the trees will cry out about this awesome God. Friends, wow, I love this text. I love what Paul is calling us to do. It's supposed to just be spilling out of our life. You know, we talk about this all the time. With premeditation, we are to be seeking to live in a manner worthy of Christ. We are to proactively be seeking to please Him. In every sphere of our life, we are to be expending energy every day to know His will and to do it. So let me ask you, Christian friend, is that a reality in your life? That's what Paul is calling the Colossians to, and that's what he's calling you and me to. God says the most breathtaking thing to His people. Yes, it's hard to believe, but the, the awesome Creator, Holy God, he, he says to a sinful people, He says what? Follow me. Yes, it's true. He says that. We can walk with God. You know, the sad thing in the modern church is I don't think most people really believe that. Because I don't think most people really do that. Because they're so wrapped up in the conformity of the world, thinking like the world. Well, I've I got to live in this box. This is where it's safe. This is where it's prudent. This is where, this is where the world tells me I need to live in this little box. But friends... Christ has blown the box away. We don't live in that box anymore. We walk with the living God. We walk with the living God. I love this. I love this huge Christianity that Paul is putting in front of us here. God says, follow me. Guess what? He means it. He means it for you. He means for you to follow Him. Let me ask you, are you? Are you serious about it? He means for you to follow Him. That's what He means to happen in your life. 1 John 2.6 The one who says he abides in Jesus ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That's how God is calling us to walk. You say, well, Jim, I can't do that. I can't walk perfectly like Jesus. I know you can't. Neither can I. That's what grace is for. <coughs> when we sin, when we fall, we confess our sin and He is faithful and just. What does it mean he's faithful and just? He's faithful, to, he's faithful to the promise of the cross. He's faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us. And we get back up and we live our faith huge again. God is not calling us to sinless perfection. He's calling us to appropriate His grace and to come after Him, and to live a life that's worthy of Him, a life that pleases Him in all 
respects. Uh, the Apostle Paul says this really so well in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Let me just read it to you. I'm going to read it to you from the message paraphrase, okay? Paul says, I'm not saying that I have this all together. You hear him? He's saying, I'm not perfect. He's saying that, that, I, have, that I have made it. He's, he says, I'm not saying that, but I am well on my way. Let me ask you, are you on your way? Are you, are you on your way to the Bema Sea? Have you set off? Have you set off? He says, I'm on my way reaching out for Jesus who so wondrously reached out for me. Awesome, huh? Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself as an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal. You hear what he's saying? I'm not perfect, but I let Jesus have my sin and I press on. I press on. That's what I'm calling you to, Christian, tonight, press, to press on. To press on. To live in a manner worthy of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be pleasing to Him in all respects. That's what I'm calling you to do from the Word of God. Listen, Paul finishes. He says, I've got my eye on that goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm never going to look back. Amen? I'm never going to look back. I'm never going to even consider conforming to the world again. I'm off to the celestial city. I've got my eye on the Bema seat. I want to be an awesome steward of all that the Lord has given me for the few moments I have left on the planet. Paul says, I know I'm calling you to live outside the box. I know it's peculiar. I know it's weird. I know people will think you've lost it. Some of you have had this experience. But Paul says, I don't care. Paul says, I can't settle anymore. You know, Paul was a Pharisee, man. He may have been one of the most religious men who ever walked the planet. And remember what Paul said about his religion and his, uh, his, his being a Pharisee? You remember what Paul says? He says, it's dung. It's dung compared to Jesus Christ. Now, here's a man who's got his priorities straight, right? Here's a man who's, who's got his priorities straight. He said, I can't live in that religious box anymore. I'm going to walk with God. I can't live like the world's telling me to live. It's too small for me. I've met the living God. And I'm going to walk with Him. He says, follow me. He means it. Friends, I'm just exhorting you to do what Paul's telling the Colossians to do. Live a life worthy of your Savior. Live a life worthy of your Savior. Yeah, those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad. But I don't care. And I hope I hope that you don't care either. Look at verse 11. Paul says, Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for uh, the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Paul says you can really live like this. Why? Because we're good little religious boys and girls. Why can we really live like this? What does Paul say? By whose power will we live like this? Someone tell me from the text. Is anybody listening? Is everybody awake? I know some of you can sleep with your eyes open. So how do we do this? How do we really live this large life? By whose power? God's power. By God's power. That's what Paul is saying. Beloved, we will persevere. We will overcome. We will. Why do I know? Why am I assured of that? Because God says it. 
God says, I'll complete the good work I've begun in my people. I'll do it. We will overcome because of His glorious might. Because of His power that's at work in us through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's He saying there? He says, yes, you're to exert your will. You're to expend energy. You're to cooperate um, with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification. But then the very next verse says this. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. There's this beautiful tension here and this wonderful assurance. And listen to the great promise of Philippians 1.6. He who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, we will persevere. We will overcome. Not because we're good little religious boys and girls. Not because of, any, not because of who we are or what we've done, we've done, but because of who God is and what God's done. Amen? Our assurance is in Him. It's not in our religion. It's not in our ordinances. It's not in our performance. It's in the sufficiency of God and His all-consuming love for His people. Our assurance is in Him. And we can live. We can live this, this life of faith large. We can because He is who He is. He is a faithful, promise-keeping God. Paul says we're to live this with all steadfastness and patience. That just means with all determination and endurance. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you living with all determination and endurance this, this life of faith that God's called you to? All determination and endurance we are Nike what does it mean someone tell me Nike we are overcomers what does Paul say we overwhelmingly overcome how because our God's God that's how not in our religion not in our do-gooding not in our doctrinal uh, statement it's because our God is God, and He's an awesome promise keeper. Let's finish up here. Uh, verse 12. Joyously, that's the end of verse 11, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says... If you're really getting the gospel, if you really have some sense of what the Bible is saying to us, you cannot not be a thankful man or woman. It, it, you know, we talked about this at Thanksgiving. We, our lives should be permeated by thanks living. Our, we should be so thankful this awesome God for everything. You know, our life should be characterized by the term thanks living, not just thanksgiving. Man, we can't help but, you know, for a billion eternities we'll be thanking this God for our awesome salvation. A billion eternities will not be long enough for us to express the bottom of our hearts with respect to all that He's done for us. We are wholly, utterly, completely, totally, ultimately, and eternally saved by Him. You deserved hell, but you'll be in heaven with the Father because He loves you and He saved you. How could we ever thank Him enough? 
Paul says, we joyously give thanks to this awesome God who qualified us for this inheritance. Friends, do you realize you and I were the most unqualified people? We were beyond qualification to receive an inheritance from the Lord. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that we were rebellious, we were thankless, we were insolent, we were arrogant, we were ungodly, we were lovers of the world, we indulged our, our lusts, we were haters of God, we were enemies of God, we were by nature children of wrath. But then what does Ephesians chapter 2 say? But God. But God being rich in mercy. Let me read it to you. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. Beloved, I want to say to you, <laughs> this being qualified, it's a big deal. You know, I, I talk to Christians all the time, and it's like, I talk to so many who, are, who really are not in awe of this transaction. And I don't understand that. I don't understand how a Christian cannot be in awe of being uh, ripped out of hell and put into the, uh, the, the heavenlies. I don't understand that. It's, it must be that we don't really get it or we don't really believe it or we would be in awe and it would affect the way we live if we really understood what this means. We were qualified for this inheritance of God. Beloved, your salvation is much bigger and more mysterious and more beautiful and more breathtaking than you've ever imagined. And this is why we will thank Him forever. I just had to read. You know, as I was studying this, I was studying this passage and several times in this passage, Romans 8, 29, and 30 just kept coming to my mind. I'm just going to read it to you. I don't have time to comment on it. But listen to what God says. For those who God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be uh, the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. It's a done deal with God. All those verbs are past tense. Amen? It's done. It's done. I wish I had time to comment. I don't. Beloved, this is why God is in a manger in Bethlehem. And this is why God is on a cross in Jerusalem. He's come for His people. He's come to redeem His people. He's come to transfer His people. Look what it says in the text. To transfer His people uh, from the domain of darkness or transfer uh, into the kingdom of Jesus, deliver them from the domain of darkness and be transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I love how Jesus says it in Luke chapter 12, and I'm done. Luke chapter 12, 31 to 32. Remember what He said? He says, don't be afraid, little flock. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you everything. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you everything. So God is saying, don't be afraid to live the way you know I've called you to live. Don't compromise that in the world. Don't be afraid to live like you know I've called you to live. Don't be afraid to do the Word. Don't be afraid to be peculiar. Don't be afraid to deviate 
from the ordinary. Don't be afraid to live outside that little bitty box that everybody else in the world lives in. God says, don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid anymore. God says, because I have loved you. I have chosen you. I have called you. I have come for you. I have redeemed you. I have justified you. I have indwelt you. I have adopted you. I have made you co-heir with my son. And Paul, Paul's just saying, live that. Live that. And that's what I'm calling you to do tonight. I think the simple challenge for us from this text is to simply know whose we are. Who do we belong to? This awesome Creator, Redeemer God, and to walk like the adopted sons and daughters that we are. I think that is the call from the text. So it's true. Those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad, but we really don't care anymore. We really don't care anymore. We've seen Jesus, and we don't settle, we won't settle, and we can't settle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great challenge to live in a manner worthy. To live in a manner worthy. In a manner that pleases you in every respect. Father, we know this is beyond our natural ability. But we know implicit in this call is the grace you afford us when we fall and when we sin. What a gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, persevering God you are. But Father, you've challenged us to know your will, to appropriate your spirit, and to live it. And we can, because you are who you are. Lord, I pray that we would Get that in our hearts and minds. And we'd stop living for the short term, the next 80 years. And we'd start living for the long term, the next billion eternities. Oh Lord, write that on our heart. That we are sons and daughters of God. We are strange upon this earth. Lord, may we live that reality. May we resist that temptation to conform with the world at every turn. May we not live by its wisdom. May we know Your will. May we be students of the Word, rightly dividing it. Lord, help us in this. Give us an appetite for it, Lord. Change us. Change us, Lord. That we would not be so fleshly. That we would be mighty in the Spirit. And He would just flow through us. We would just be an open conduit of power and blessing and provision. The thing you've really called us to be. Oh Lord, we want to be that in this church. Help us, I pray. We praise you, great God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to come to the table tonight, and uh, I meant to say this earlier and I forgot, I apologize, but uh, we have open communion here, so all who have followed Christ, uh, made a profession of faith in Christ and followed Him uh, in baptism, you're welcome to partake of communion uh, with us. I always warn those who come to the table, we know Paul warned the the Corinthians uh, not to come to the table in an unworthy manner, so if just don't come in an unworthy manner. Don't come in some ritualistic, uh, rote, dead, meaningless way. Don't come to the table if you have sin in your life and you're, you have no intention of repenting from that sin. Don't come to the table. But come to the table if you want to remember what He did and honor Him. Come to the table and remember our awesome Lord. So Tyler and the, and the guys are going to sing for a few minutes. Uh, prepare your hearts. Confess your sin. Prepare yourself and come up and take the bread, take the cup, go back to your seat, and when the music ends, I'll read a text, and then we will partake of the elements, okay?